Welcome to Virtual School Assembly. I'm your host, Tyler Christensen. I'm a productivity speaker, author, and classroom teacher. Here at Virtual School Assembly, I interview Hollywood celebrities, professional athletes, Olympians, speakers, and educators who share messages of inspiration, education, and hope to better prepare you for an ever-changing and uncertain world. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Welcome back to Virtual School Assembly. Today our guest is Charlie the Spaniard Brenneman. Charlie left his job of being a junior high Spanish teacher to pursue his passion for mixed martial arts. He's fought at every level of the industry, including an 11-fight UFC career. After upsetting the sixth-ranked Rick Story in 2011, Charlie skyrocketed into the world rankings and went head-to-head with the best fighters in the world. He's since written two books, hosts a top-rated podcast, and he's the world's toughest lifelong learner. Welcome to the show, Charlie. It's my pleasure to be here, man, and I appreciate it. We were talking off camera, but or off recording. We're into very similar things, and yeah. you know, when uh, the the physical activity, the learning, the teacher, etc. And then when when you mentioned your specialty is in in reading, right? Getting kids to read and enjoy reading. It's my focal point, and you know, it's uh, something I believe in for the betterment of people in general, young and old. And I don't often get to geek out with other people <laughs> who are so into to books and reading, but. I, I'm here to kind of share my story, a brief of, of my presentation. I speak in a lot of schools. I talk to kids. I was talking to kids on a very regular basis prior to COVID. But when I talk, I, I connect with kids, which I'll, you know, I'll start telling my story here in a minute. But on a very human level, a very, very much level of, hey, I'm shoulder to shoulder with you. Life is very tough. These are my experiences. These are my adversities with wrestling, with professional fighting, with you know, being in the spotlight in the UFC, in the octagon, full of an arena of, of screaming fans winning, but then the flip side of that being in there screaming fans getting knocked out cold on live television. And I think kids can understand the uh, sinking gut feeling, the embarrassment of, of you know, to, to, to middle school. I speak a lot in middle schools and high schools. You know, I always use the idea of dropping your tray in the lunchroom. Like the, oh, man, ah. It's like that times a million getting knocked out cold on live television. So I I know about embarrassment or heartbreak. I know about being vulnerable. Uh, I deal with a lot of fear and self-doubt. So, you know, encompassed in my story are all of those things to to give kids um, an idea of, yeah, you can do it. Just keep going. But I grew up in Hollidaysburg, Pennsylvania. It's between Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. And I always had big dreams, big hopes and dreams. Rocky Balboa, to me, is is my hero. You know, it's it's uh, I'm 39. I have two kids. My son's name is Rocky, actually. And just two nights ago, there was a new documentary that came out like 40 years of Rocky. And we watched that. So I haven't grown out of it. I'm still a young six year old seeing this guy wanting to have my own shot. You know, wanting to fight through the doubt, wanting to fight through the the self doubt, the doubt from everyone else, the 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 you know Russian Apollo Club or all these scary figures. And as you're a kid, it's like, no, it's not the Russian, it's not Apollo, it's not Clubber Lang, all these characters. But it's life. You know, it's other kids. It's maybe family problems. It's your own self doubt. It's figuring out the future. It's having big scary goals. It's all these things that you and I and everyone else can relate to being in middle school and high school. And so. I had these big dreams. I learned earlier about winning and losing. You know, I wrestled eight years old. I stepped on the wrestling mat for the first time. I didn't have immediate success, but the second year, boom, it was like a skyrocket. And I was good at it. I loved it. I worked really hard at it. 
But it wasn't all sunshine and, and happiness. It was a lot of losing and a lot of losing at the worst times possible. And with, you know, young people, either when I speak on stage or interact on social media, it, you know, the idea is not to, to avoid the difficulties and avoid the heartbreaks and avoid the tears. It's to like face them and get through them and be stronger on the other side of it. So I followed the sport of wrestling in the college. So-so collegiate athletic wrestling career ended on a really high note. So it was like down, 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 down. And then it was like, whoa, I ended on a really high note. I thought I was done with competition. I thought I was done with that life, a wrestling life. If you've ever been exposed to it, I know you're an athlete. You know what it's like to run really far. It's hard. It's very hard. And after you're done with that race or after you're done with that competition, I was done with the sport. I thought, no mas. I don't want any more. I'm done. No more cutting weight. No more miserable Christmases, no more miserable Thanksgivings, no more miserable birthdays. I want to stuff my face. I want to be happy. I want to not work out really hard. And it was like within a year that I realized like, wow, that's who I am. I'm not a wrestler. I'm a guy who loves to work hard. I'm a guy who loves discipline. I'm a guy who loves the fight, you know, the fight, doing your best, attacking challenges, trying your hardest, getting back up. I love that. I didn't have it anymore. And <clears throat> that's when mixed martial arts came into my life. Prior to that, I was never into fighting. I was a good kid, didn't get in trouble, was super scared of fighting, was in one fight when I was about 12. I got a big black eye. It was embarrassing. It was terrible. I never wanted anything to do with fighting. I was a, a, a really big rule follower. And uh, I just saw an opportunity to get that me get that discipline get that commitment get that hard work get that going after it thing that was by way of becoming a professional fighter and i i've always dreamed right i, I want to be rocky and then i thought i i have my rocky story but then at like 25 six years old i had this new like oh my gosh i really want to be rocky i really want to do this thing and so i i decided to leave my teaching position and pursue something that was one of the craziest things that anyone could think of, like, okay, I'm going to go from teaching Spanish, uh, and I actually want to go fight in a cage on television. And it wasn't like I had a reputation as a fighter. I was kind of like a, a nerdy, got really good grades, tried my best to stay out of the trouble, but I just wanted to do this thing. And so I set out on a journey, and I ended up uh, getting, as you mentioned in the introduction, achieving a number seven rank uh, in the world. Talk about self-doubt. Talk about self-fulfilling prophecy. Talk about not giving yourself a chance and then blasting through all of that is my story. And it, it became my reality. And that instilled in me this idea that, whoa, I, I really can do anything I want to do. Not going to be easy. In fact, it's going to be terrible a lot of the time. It's going to be really hard a lot of the time. You know, but but if you keep on going, you, you win. That that's one of my major messages is if you keep going, you win. What is is winning the title? Uh, maybe maybe not. Is it a million dollars? Maybe maybe not. To me, the most important winning is looking at me in the mirror, morning, night, when I'm alone, and liking myself, being happy with myself. Because the glitz of being ranked number seven in the world, it there's I'm I'm now seven million in the world. I, I don't fight anymore. People forgot about me. So at the end of the day, it gets back to you, who you are, what you stand for, knowing yourself, knowing your values, putting yourself around a winning team, putting yourself around the right people. 
um, consuming books, right? We love books. We love learning, consuming the right things that help you propel forward. And, you know, middle school, in the past year and a half speaking, middle school has kind of become my where I speak the most. Um, high school is not much different than middle school. I, I feel like you're, you're a little bit more secure in where you're headed. But both of those time frames are very difficult, and it's not unlike a fight. And, you know, hopefully you're not actually having to fight, but very difficult times. And there's a lot of crossover and correlation between professional fighting and between middle and high school because it's a battle every single day. And at the end of the day, like I said, it's it's I truly believe that if you just keep going, if you commit to one thing and that's to not quitting, that in the end, one way or another, that you'll win. And that's really the message that I promote and I model and I embody and I live by to hopefully pass that on to the younger generation. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing your story, Charlie. Now, because you you were just talking about middle school, I want to ask you a little bit. Um, I have two middle schoolers at home right now, and I, I totally can relate to what you're saying. It is a crazy time. It's hard. And especially right now in the mi- middle of COVID, you know, my, my son who's now going into high school, he's so worried that he's not going to be able to actually go to high school, but that he'll have to do it virtually. Um, but this is a time in their life where they have big dreams, where they still see the possibilities that are out there. And I'm guessing when you were in middle school, you weren't thinking one day I want to be a nationally ranked fighter. Um, How have your dreams changed and evolved over time? Yeah, I think so. I just heard the other day in an interview that, and this is kind of a, it'll sound grown up, but I'll break it down. The path to success is not linear. So, so, so it's not, it's not you're a two year old and you dream of being world champion. It's you're a two year old and you, learn to walk. And then when you lock, you're like, Hmm, I like running. And then you're like, Oh, I like track. Oh, I want to try to make the track team. And then, so it's very incremental. It happens right. like step by step by step. So the way I've operated in my life and I still operate to this day is as I'll have a focal point and I'll go after that focal point. And then when I get to that focal point and it either works or doesn't work or, you know, with professional fighting, it no longer made sense to fight anymore. Financially, family, health risk wise, no longer made sense. So once I got to that point, I, I looked around, scanned the surface, created new goals, and then I go towards those goals. So I think the understanding, especially to a young person, is like, hey, you're in eighth grade, seventh grade, tenth grade. You don't have to know what you're going to do when you're 60. But at least make a little bit of a plan for two years, four years, five years. Work like heck to get there. Maybe you'll get there. Maybe you'll change course. But I think having a, a purpose, having a mission, having a direction – that is not a hundred years away has been super helpful for me. Cool. Now, now your path to celebrity and, and to being on the world stage is very different from most people. Um, even the celebrities that we've had on, on this show and the professional athletes, the Olympians that we've had on, most of them planned on that from a very young age. I want to get better. I want to grow into this. Yours was a little different in that you, after you were older, you came back to maybe a childhood dream. Um, but I think one of the interesting things about that is you became a celebrity. You were recognizable. You were at the top of the world for a while. Was that all it's cracked up to be? What was your experience in, in being in the limelight? Yeah, so a couple of things there. The, um, for me, that thing was wrestling, and then wrestling ended. Mm-hmm. And then it became wrestling was a pathway to fight as a way to continue what I loved about wrestling. So it's like, it was a complete misdirection in that. No, I never, even when I was in college at like 20, 21, 22, 
I, I would see fighting. I never once thought I want to do that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then being, you know, being in the limelight, it, I'm not gonna lie. It's really cool. It's, it's awesome. It's, it's, um, you know, flying first class, uh, it, 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 uh, getting free meals. Um, and I didn't fly first class when I was fighting, but I'm saying it's as it like, I want to fly first class. Why? Cause it's awesome. <laughs> Cause you get steak <laughs> and you get whatever you want. Like when, when you're in the limelight for a period of time, it is that way, mm-hmm. but it also, makes you realize when you're not there and you don't get those free things and you don't get those cool things and people don't pay you to go to their restaurant, then you're left with you and your family and your circle of friends. And if you don't have those surroundings around you, it can be a really, 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 really lonely time. It's even a really lonely time when you don't have those people in place. So I think anyone who had any success or any sort of notoriety would tell you the importance of having a good core group of people who know and like you for you, not the glitz and the glamour because, and I mean, I'm, I'm uh, from a spectator perspective, but anyone who's famous, anyone who's whatever, as soon as they're older, as soon as they have a bum knee, as soon as they, whatever, whatever, there's more people. It's a, it's a machine. Life is a machine. So yeah, being in the limelight is really stinking cool. There's a lot of pressure that goes with it, pressure that it can break you. Um, but also when you leave it, the, uh, probably the biggest takeaway is when you leave it, you have to be prepared for, okay, it's me and me now. And what do I think about me? Not what do they think about me, but what do I think about me? Hmm. That's really good advice. Now, uh, one of the things that I love about you is that you identify as the world's toughest lifelong learner. And as you mentioned earlier, we both have a passion for reading. And I know on your podcast, I mean, you have over a thousand episodes and a lot of them have to do with books. Um, where did this title or this moniker world's toughest lifelong learner come from? So it, it stemmed from, okay, my mindset going all the way back to wrestling. If I want to be the best, I have to surround myself with the best. It's a very simple mantra that I live by surround yourself with the best wrestling. It was the coaches. It was the training partners. It was the camps. It was the tournaments. It was all that stuff. Uh, even Spanish. I was a Spanish teacher. It, it was, I'm hanging out with the Spanish kids. I'm hanging out with the South American kids. I need to be in their world because I, I want to be the best. I want to know what I'm talking about. Credibility as a Spanish speaker and a Spanish teacher. Um, fighting was the same way. I, I moved. I left my hometown. I moved to New Jersey and New York where there's a lot of high-level training. World champions, best ever. Black belt, best ever. Some of the best ever. Uh, black belts, the best. When I stopped fighting, it became... All right. I'm not around that every day. I used to go to the gym every day and, and just the, the air, the energy, the, 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 all of it of being around the best. And I thought now I'm home, you know, my wife's working. My daughter at that time was a baby. Everyone else is working. How do I be around the best in the world now? And that's what really upped my love. I've always been an academic, um, I never got a B in college. I, 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 I'm proud of, of, of that little fact. But uh, always been academic, always enjoyed reading. But it was after fighting that I really dived into it, and I thought, wow, these books are changing my life for 12 bucks, 9 bucks, whatever, or even free, some of them. They're giving me an opportunity to be around some of the best, most interesting, kindest, thoughtful, inspiring people in the world, and I can do it from my living room. And that's what really led me to dive into it. And then when I started my podcast and speaking, I thought, how do I want to combine 
Like, I mean, it was strategic thought too. Like, how do I combine what I am? You know, a UFC fighter who loves to read books and has a message of resilience and strength and continuous learning. Like, how do I promote that? And, uh, and so we came up with world's toughest lifelong learner to do that. I mean, I think it's kind of self-explanatory. Right. Um, and it's a fun aspiration too. You know, it's not only like just the title that I, it's an aspiration. I mean, who doesn't yeah. want to have strong mind, strong body. So it's a, an aspirational identity as well. Now, a lot of kids struggle with this idea of being a lifelong learner because they've been conditioned to think that you're only a learner if you're doing good in school. And a lot of people who are lifelong learners didn't do well in school, really struggled in school, but became great CEOs and world leaders. Um, if you want to learn, and maybe now's a great time for that because we're all at home, whether it's because of COVID or we're into our summer vacations now, we have an opportunity to learn. What are, what's your advice to kids on how they can establish some habits now so that they can become lifelong learners? Yeah, I think that is a really big differentiator. And people often ask me now, are you a teacher? And I traditional sense, no, I'm not a teacher, but I teach every day on my show. I teach every to audience that I, that I speak to. Um, I think you hit on something there. My brother just said to me the other day, Charlie, why don't you get a PhD? You're an idiot for not getting a PhD. And I was like, oh, I just kind of like learning about stuff I want to learn about. And, and it, it, I think for a kid, you know, I have my master's. I may or I doubt I'll get my PhD, but maybe it's something I'll aspire to. But I think interest is a huge thing, right? So, you know, school. School has a negative connotation because – probably because kids feel they, they, ha they have to go. Right. So automatically it's just this rebuttal of, well, I don't want to go. You have to go. I don't want to go. And it's, you know, hard and it can be challenging. There's all, all kinds of resistance to it. Right. So take that out of it. Well, lifelong learning. So what's your interest? What are you interested in? What are you curious about? I don't know if I've ever met a person who's not interested in something or curious about something. So I think step one is identify that. Right. And if it's mm -hmm video games, if it's music, if it's art, if it's whatever, just identify that interest and that interest sparks curiosity. And then once you have interest and curiosity, it then becomes, it's so the world is wide open. There's books, there's interviews, podcasts, documentaries, all kinds of, I'm really interested in, in strengthening conditioning, all kinds of social media influencers that I can learn diet, nutrition, training techniques, all this stuff. So I think first and foremost, you know, if you do have an aversion to, to or a connection of learning and school and you might not be the biggest fan of school, maybe it's for social reasons you don't like to go to school, put that on the back burner and think, what am I interested in? What sparks curiosity in me? And then keep your eyes open and look for all these different sources of medium, social media, Instagram, um, you know, like I said, the books, the Netflix, Prime, there's so much. I've gotten really into Native American history. I've gotten really into like the Gilded Age history. So much of that stuff that when I was a kid, when I was in middle school, and you would have said, Charlie, when you're 39, you'll be researching the Gilded Age and Native Americans. I'd have said, you're crazy. I'm not interested in that stuff at all. But when you start to get interested and curious, you never know where it's going to take you. Right. So I, I, and I love that not only are you a consumer of literature, but you've also written uh, a memoir with your first book. And, and then you have um, your second book on, on being the world's toughest lifelong learner. Talk a little bit about the writing process. A lot of kids want to write a book eventually that's on their bucket list. Um, what was that process like for you in, in writing a couple books? You know, you can make it really complex 
um, you know, there's a, a really good book. It's a grown-up book, but for a serious kid, they would appreciate it. It's called The War of Art uh, by Stephen yeah. Pressfield. And so when I wrote my books, I had an idea or I had a reason that I wanted to write a book. My first book was because so many people in my community, my hometown, were curious about fighting. What in the heck are you doing? You're leaving your Spanish job to fight to my parents. What is he doing? Why are you letting him do this? So I wrote my first book to answer that question. I literally, and this is my advice to someone, you know, have an idea. What do you want to write about? Uh, I had no thought for better or worse. I didn't think of this being a world bestseller. I thought I'm writing this book for my community, right. something I'm going to be proud of, something for my kids when they're older to read. And so I just started writing. And that's my first advice is, is think of an idea and then start writing. The chronological order of it, the grammar, the editing, the length, the word count, all these other things like font and art and design and uploading and self-publishing, all that stuff, I mean, you can Google it. But what you can't Google is you writing the book. So sit down and write and then find find a person to, to help coach you. And there are, there are a lot of people that write books. I mean, a lot of regular people that write books and right. I, I'm fortunate. I mean, you know, my partner in all this, his name is Keith, but I, I refer to him as dread. Uh, and he's, he's like, he's self-published books. He knows about in design. He knows about art. He knows about creation. He knows about editing and he used to be a copywriter. So one, start writing and two, start scanning the surface for who in my circle that doesn't cost a million dollars can help me out of one, the goodness of their heart and or for a, a you know a price I can afford to, to help coach me along. Right. Absolutely. I, it, it's interesting. As you talked about that, I was thinking about um, what that process has been for me and my kids, because after I wrote my first book, my 10 year old daughter thought, well, I want to write a book too. And she did exactly what, what you're suggesting. She just sat down, she wrote it. And within three months, uh, she wrote a 120 page book and then she asked dad, okay, how do we publish this? How do we get it on Amazon? And so I worked with her on the cover design and the formatting and we did exactly what you suggest. We Googled it. We, we figured out yeah. how to do it. We got her book up and not a lot of 10 year old authors out there, but, but she did it just because she took action on what you suggested. Yeah. And, and I think a couple common fears, I know, Actually, I was so naive, I didn't really have these fears. But a couple common fears, you know, to write a chapter book or a, a, I just refer to them as kids' books and adult books. To write an adult book um, or a chapter book, you might be thinking, oh, it's got to be a 200 pages. Oh, my gosh. Gotta, it doesn't. Like some right. of the best books, I have a book over there, Line Tracker's Guide to Life. I don't know. It's 150 pages in a book that's like five by four maybe. Like it doesn't have to be a zillion words. So you're right. Right. And any like I never thought of myself as an artist. I was just a freaking wrestler, man. It was like wrestle and then it was fight and it was train hard and sweat and bleed and Rocky Balboa. And then I started getting really artsy and I was like, I love this. I love creating. I love writing. I love like kind of abstract ideas and thoughts. And and and, and, and for me, when I opened that door, it, it really, you know, it really opened up a whole new aspect of my life. And I'm reading a book now. It's called The Lost City of the Monkey God. And it's like so awesome. And I'm thinking to myself, how can people not want to read this every single day? Right. And for anyone who, you know, young people, their lives might not be as um, 
uh, time-taking elements of their life as a grown-up, right, with kids and house, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's a thousand things you have to do. For kids, their lives are relatively simple. In order to consistently read, you know, to be a, a real disciplined lifelong learner, it's just prioritize. Just 30 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, 10 pages a day, it's not really that hard. It's right. just making the decision, hey, I want to do this consistently, uh, surfing on your phone a little bit less, and getting that reading done just as you'd get your workout done. Right. And that's true of anything worthwhile, right? If you just sit down for 20, 30 minutes a day, eventually you're going to be one of the best in the world at that thing because it's that consistency over time that, that really adds up. Um, I love that point. And I love even that you pointed out that you can have short books because the, the book you referenced earlier, the, the War of Art, that's a teeny little yeah. book, but it's influenced so, millions and millions of people. Yeah. So yeah. it's a good point. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for your time today, for sharing your message with us. Uh, if kids want to look at your books or learn more about you or listen to your podcast, where should they go? Uh, my website is charliespaniard.com, C-H-A-R-L-I-E, Spaniard, S-P-A-N-I-A-R-D. You can just Google the Spaniard UFC and, and that'll come up. Social media is at Charlie Spaniard. My podcast is called The Spaniard Show on iTunes, and I produce a kids episode specifically for kids about kids' books every Tuesday. And I use picture books more so than chapter books, not because I'm making a show for a four-year-old, but because a lot of kids don't want to read because books are long and it's hard. So I take a five-minute picture book that you can read in five minutes and turn it into a life lesson. Uh, so there's as little resistance to possible to read that book and get the most out of it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Charlie. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you so much for joining us today on Virtual School Assembly. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you listen to Virtual Assemblies. And leave us a rating and review so we know what you learned and took away from this Virtual Assembly. Videos and show notes are found at virtualschoolassembly.com. And if you're a school leader and you're looking for a speaker for virtual or traditional in-school assemblies, or if you're looking for some teacher training, I'd love to connect with you to see how I can help. You can check out my website at tylerchristiansen.com. Thanks. You are super duper. Let's go out and make the world a better place. Bye-bye.